Welcome to the Smart Nonsense Podcast, where we talk about entrepreneurship, self-development, and challenging norms. Today, it is episode 44, and we are diving deep again with our friend, Avtar Suratan. If you missed the first conversation with Avtar, go to episode 37, because there we talk about self-mastery, we talk about business automations, and later, a cool business idea that we all stumble upon. Here, we are diving deep on Avtar's background. We talk about that for the first half, about his experiences in South Africa, the educational system there, then later in Costa Rica, and finally in Princeton, where he studied computer science. We also talk about where kids are going wrong nowadays, and even adults, in terms of finding the true path for them in life, how to keep an internal scorecard for your accomplishments and your route to success, and finally, how we might transform the educational system as a whole. So... I'm excited for you to listen. If you want to connect to Avtar, you can find him on his website, avtar.com, A-V-T-H-A-R.com, or on Twitter, at Avtar S. I'm excited for you to listen. Jump right into it. The first half, again, is about Avtar. The second half, we get more into broader educational questioning. I'm excited for you. All right. This is episode 44 with Avtar Suletan. So, Avtar, we, we had episode 37, which is my dad's favorite episode so far and oh nice you know, not trying so, to which always... was episode 37 which one was that <laughs> oh well the only one we released we actually oh, that's the one twice. that we did okay i thought you're talking about another episode <laughs> yeah, just say about. a random episode oh no i thought this one that you did yesterday you're like oh okay I'll throw uh, no we're, we're in the 40s <laughs> now like baby. all right <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> proud of your dad <laughs> no it's cool so, I, yeah it's more related to you because uh, he loved the insights that came out of that podcast facilitated nice. by you. So uh, we need to do the episode that's long overdue, where you come from, how you just got into this whole world of self-mastery and seem to be doing well in it. Uh, I mean, I want to start from the ground up, but is there anything, Belky, that you, you've had on your mind? Well, uh, related to that, Avtar, when we met, now holy crap almost 10 years ago um we can talk about how that happened but i i i remember we were all like 13 years old at the time 15 years old yeah we we were like 17 i don't know how old you were you were probably like a year younger than me 16 yeah 15 yeah it's like 17 18 at the time we were like you know but what was so curious was you were mr self-development then that's true actually yeah yeah i i (laughs) just remember you walking around with your laptop like you were walking around like this and you just had like this aura and you were like, go watch this Ted talk, go watch this Ted talk, go watch my Ted talk. <laughs> and, um, where did that come from? Like, so you were in this world at age, like you said, 17, I guess yeah. Dylan, you were about 18 when you first picked up four hour work week. No. Oh yeah. So Avtar, how, how did it start? How did yeah. this happen? No, I think that that's a, that's a good place to start for me. I think the turning point was, when I went to uh, this international school, UWC Costa Rica. So picture this, I'm a kid from South Africa, grew up in, in post-apartheid South Africa. So uh, basically the country is still trying to figure out, you know, how do you transition away from this uh, dictatorship that we've been under essentially. And uh, there's a lot of like things aren't perfect, basically. It's not like your, you know, the, the biggest struggles weren't, you know, trying to like fit in in school and stuff. But uh, at that time, you know, it was just normal. Like my childhood was was normal. Um, we didn't we didn't think anything of it. Um, and then, so growing up in South Africa, 
then I, I, when I was 17, I moved across the world to, to go and live in and study in Costa Rica. Uh, and I think that was the main catalyst to me getting into uh, self-development and, and trying to understand how can you like master yourself? Because I think when you're in an environment where at such a young age, you're completely on your own and you have to decide, uh, you know, how do you want to live your life? Essentially, that independence is kind of thrust upon you. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, you know, Americans experience this when they go to college. Uh, and so it uh, happened a little earlier in my life. Um, and yeah, I think that that period of time where you're, you don't have anyone telling you what to do. You don't have, you don't have, you basically in, in charge of everything. You're coming your from, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. in all boys school in South Africa and they're just, you know, we're going to unleash you in a country where you don't speak the language with a bunch of other international students. Yeah. Girls, guys, yeah. Every, I can't imagine what's going through your head. You're like, this is crazy freedom. And the thing, and the thing about like the school that I went to in South Africa, I'm not sure if you guys have these in the U S but they're kind of like, um, kind of like, uh, uh, remnants of like the British schooling system where it's like, everyone's wearing a uniform. There's a lot of strict rules. There's like a, a very, set hierarchy among the students um so for example like when i was in grade eight you had to go and like do chores and do uh like run errands for the people who were in grade 12 who were the seniors and uh it was like worse if you were in the boarding school so i was just a day scholar i used to travel to school every day but if you're in the boarding school then you'll have to like you know clean their room or like it's basically like a, a means of you know getting respect and moving up the ladder so to go from that very like structured hierarchical environment to uh, UWC, which is very much like, oh, guys, you know, education can save the world. And like, let's all just respect each other. And like, <laughs> it's very like, you know, new agey and, and, and kumbaya around the campfire kind of stuff. But I think that that, that whole experience just taught me that, look, like, I, I loved reading at, at a young age as well. And so at that time, you know, whatever issues I would have, I would turn to books or to resources to try and like solve that because that was like the only thing that I knew it's like if we have a problem let's try and find out something about how you can how you can solve it um, and I think that that year at my first year when I was in Costa Rica so I came there when I was 17 didn't speak any Spanish um, sort of trying to find myself and, and where I am in the world and, and my place in the world that year was like super transformative to me I uh, managed to get my health in check lost like I think it was like 50 pounds or so yeah that was the other thing um, so that was like, and, and so when I met Henry, it was at the end of this first year ass. of like immense transformation and, and basically like just finding a lot of uh, self-esteem and um, confidence in, in myself and, and my abilities and, and you know, basically um, assuredness in the fact that like I can be uh, effective in the world and I can like uh, execute without re- relying, basically self-reliability. That's, uh, that's the word I would use. It was and so, so obviously, cool. and, and so when I met you, I think I was like at the end of that phase. So it looks like, ah, you know, this person has, has it all well, uh, put together. You were so yeah. wise. I remember th- there were a few people in our cohort that were like getting in trouble for sneaking alcohol in, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the different things. And Avtar is just like, he's like, I, I can't even explain it. You had your shit together. That's what it was. And it was That's true. It, yeah. it, it shined, shone so bright. Um, I appreciate that though, man. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I must say like my first impression of Henry, I was like, at first I was kind of jealous. Cause like at that time he had like this vitamin company and I was like, damn, <laughs> this guy is so young and he already has a company and it's like got this cool social mission. So I think it goes so, both ways. And Ron of a company right there. You had to get out of that. That was. <laughs> so we should, 
<laughs> I, uh, I sent Dylan this morning. He asked me about a week ago for, he wanted to see the Shark Tank video and I couldn't find yeah. it. It was on some older computer, but I found it this morning unlisted on YouTube. So that'll, that'll surface somewhere. But after we should talk about how we ended up or basically what the African Leadership Academy was, because that was for me, you know, their curriculum on entrepreneurial leadership was like such a kick in the butt. So you had like, yeah, figured out a, a lot out. of the lessons. Exactly. A lot of like the lessons that we learned there was actually really, really good. A lot of the yeah. things actually stayed with me until this day. In fact, I should actually um, try and dig up my old, I still have the, oh, the, the leadership journal, like the binder yeah, that they had yeah. and we would reflect in things. Coincidentally, I actually got to know Veda pretty well. He was all, He's also a Princeton alum. And so we've met um, subsequently to to the, the end of that camp. That was Actually, know, he would be an awesome person to talk to on yeah. here. But he actually has Veda, his own podcast now. Yeah, so I can, yeah. I, I can introduce you guys. That would be super um, cool. Well, I, 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 I talk oh, with him, so I, oh, nice. I should just do that. Yeah, uh, I saw him in San Francisco not too long ago. But uh, nice. now this is the Avatar Henry Veda show. Veda was the... Um, he, he was, was basically kind, like the, the head like facilitator in the camp. And he also kind of came up with the curriculum. He was like yeah, in on the yeah. founding table of the African yeah. Leadership Academy. Um, so yeah, Dylan, we, we met there. It was 2013 and it was this awesome summer course on, on entrepreneurial yeah. leadership. And it was at the time they were teaching a lot of kind of unconventional things. Exactly. They were ahead Especially of the Especially for, for kids at like that young age. A lot of it was about, so like the thesis of that camp was... I think it was called a global scholars program. Mm -hmm. So uh, you bring in both students from Africa. So I was one of the like the African students, uh, even though I, I was in Costa Rica when I applied. Um, so you have a portion of students who are from uh, Africa and some students who are uh, actually students at the school African Leadership Academy. And then you have these other students from uh, some are Americans and some are from like the UK and, and other countries. We even had one guy from China as well. He came like halfway late. Yeah, so there's people from all the world supposed to come there. And the idea is to try and equip them with some entrepreneurship and leadership skills and also uh, teach them about like Africa and the potential that entrepreneurship has to transform the African continent. And I think that, uh, that was my takeaway because at that time, uh, one of the things that I realized when I was at UWC is that like, I really uh, love South Africa and the other African students and I became very close. There was only about five of us or so. It was a very, um, uh, about five, seven, basically like a handful of us and we got really tight. And so naturally this whole idea of like, look, a lot of African countries share similar problems, you know, weak institutions, weak leadership, um, corruption. Uh, and so how can you, is it possible to train a set of young people and their hypothesis is that leadership is a thing that's missing. And so if you have good leadership, then that will actually uh, create stronger institutions and decrease corruption and stuff like that. Uh, and so that was, that was the premise of this whole school and this whole summer camp was to basically teach that, but like at a micro level in the, I don't know, six weeks or eight weeks. And, and the problem too, Haftar was um, you, you could teach leadership on the continent, right? And because all of the top students from the continent would end up coming to the States to go to whatever institutions and they would go to Ivy league schools here and then they would stay here. Right. It yeah. was that, that, that idea of, of brain drain. And so the African leadership's position is, okay, if you come here for boarding school for, for two years, 
Um, it's all those things Avtar talked about. But also, if you go away from for school, you have to come back and and serve and build um, organizations on the con- on the African continent yeah, for like I think ten years. Yeah, for ten yeah, years. Yeah, like after I think ten years after you graduate, within that time, uh, you have to dedicate like a period of, yeah. of your working career. What's, what's interesting I think it's is that- it's part of the scholarship that they get. Exactly right. The bummer is I know a few people who have um, kind of broken that contract and elected to pay. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, okay, and stay in the states. And so yeah. I, I don't know how well it's working. We should talk to Beta, but um, that's that's a whole topic for another day. Yeah, one of my yeah, yeah. one of my friends who uh, was one of the first groups of students at the at the school was just talking a little bit about. I think once you get out of it, you kind of see through the matrix, and you're like, well, I think that the whole vision and the goal is good. But uh, there are some things that might leave you a bit disenchanted. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that whole returning policy is, is a controversial topic, at least among the students. I, one, it's cool. Like, I think few people get into this like, heavy entrepreneurship going out and exploring new worlds at such a young age. Yeah. So that's why it's amazing that you two could do that. For Avtar, was that like your, your parents kind of wanted you to do this? Or did you hear about say United World College or whatever, like how did you stumble into these? Yeah, yeah. that's a very good question. Actually, my parents haven't forced me to do anything in life. I think it's very like when I think back at it, my parents have been very much letting me uh, pick the things that I'm interested in. And then as I've picked them, they've been just super supportive of it. Um, And so the story of how I I came across UWC and and even and even ALA is that when I was when I was younger, I was super interested in maths and science, and so I got selected to go for these like science olympiads. So I represented South Africa at uh, international science olympiad in Nigeria when I was like 15, I think. Um, and then similarly, I, I represented South Africa again at this international physics olympiad when I was 17. And so those experiences, especially the first one when I was in Nigeria, um, was so like formative to me because at that time it was my first exposure to people from different countries in the world. And we're all at an age where, you know, when you're 15, you're still like nice. Uh, you're still like a kid in the sense that like, you know, you haven't like fully uh, formed your ideas of the world, but you have enough understanding of your own culture and your own country that you can share that with other people. So you're receptive, but you also have something to something to bring. Um, and that whole experience was really life-changing for me. I've made friends that I still keep in touch with today. Um, I think when you, as a kid, especially like coming, looking at the context that we were coming from, um, you know, you take all these like nerdy kids who are like the best in maths and science at their school and you bring them all together. And initially in their own countries, they think like, oh, we're like the only people, no one really understands us. And then you come together and you're like, wow, everyone here actually likes this stuff. Everyone is is cool. And so I wanted to be in that environment. So that was just like, I think it was like two weeks that the, that the Olympiad was. I wanted to be in that environment for like longer. I, I just wanted to go back and, and wanted to uh, keep having that exposure to people from different countries in the world and learning. Cause I think like you, you hear a lot about different countries. So like everyone has heard of, oh, this is what's happening in Brazil. This is what's happening in Indonesia. But once you meet someone from that country, it really humanizes what's going on there. And so I think that that kind of like element of building empathy such that it's not just like things that you're reading in the news, but there's actually people that you can associate with uh, with things uh, that was super powerful for me. Um, and then the other thing was that like I just think people that was like the first um, time that I realized that ah like the story that I have is interesting. 
um, a lot of people were fascinated by the idea that, you know, I am South African Indian, even though like South Africa is a predominantly black country. A lot of the, uh, we had people on a team that were uh, Indian, we had white people, black people. And so it was like a microcosm of like the, the racial mix up of South Africa. And people were kind of confused at that because they don't necessarily see that in the things that they're watching on TV or things that they're reading about. Um, and so I like that. And I kind of like wanted to uh, share more about, you know, what is like, what life is like and, and more about my life and the things that I'm interested in. Uh, and so basically, like I got very lucky. Um, I was researching around for, you know, what other organizations are uh, have like an international mission and, and things like that. And one day, the 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 single most like life changing thing in my life kind of happened by accident, where one day I was just in uh, in school in South Africa. I went to a, a public high school, and someone had went to UWC that was like a year above me or two years above me, and he just happened to like come and speak to my particular English class that day. It was only one class in the whole school. The school has like thousands of, like more than a thousand kids in it, a uh, thousand uh, guys. And he just happened to speak to my English class that day. He didn't speak to any of the, any of the other classes. And uh, he basically said, yeah, you know, I went to the school. He went to the, the school in Canada. And he basically, you know, talked about how life-changing it was. It was people from different countries and, uh, you learn this uh, great curriculum called IB and, and then he's thinking about going to university in the US. And I was like, damn, this sounds like this thing that I was looking for. It's, it's um, like ideally positioned. And I so happened that, you know, the ethos of UWC was all about um, international understanding, uh, sharing from your culture, but also like being a representative of your, of your country. And at that time, I was, um, I was uh, super into debating and public speaking. And so I was very like politically aware of what was going on in South Africa. And I was able to articulate what my opinions about these things are at a level that uh, was perhaps unusual for someone that was like 16 at the time. Um, that mainly because I was debating. And so you learn all these arguments, you learn how to stand up and, and speak in front of people. And so what actually happened that that whole story is that I went for, um, I applied, I applied like uh before the applications kind of open. And so like I put my application, I sent it in and they're like, sorry, like you have to wait until next year. And so anyway, um, I managed to uh, go through that whole application process. Uh, what's actually funny is that I didn't actually finish the whole thing. So what, what happens is that you apply and then if, you, uh, if they think that you can kind of handle the whole uh, experience, they take you to like a regional selection. You can think of this kind of like in your state. So each uh, province in South Africa has their a uh, group of like 10 kids or so and they come and they interview you and you talk among the other kids and it's kind of trying to see you know can you one uh are you able to like socially adapt to uh uncomfortable situations but also like how well can you uh hold your own in a foreign environment because you know in addition to going to places that you have uh, that you don't speak the language uh can you make friends are you like sociable you know can you survive socially in that environment is, is another thing and so I just went through this first part. What then happens is you take all the people who are uh, the, like the winners of their regional groups and then you take them to like the national stage. And so you have like a camp and then you and then they select the, the, the people that get the scholarships. Now, what happened to me is that I actually didn't go through the second phase. I just went to the first phase and then I was um, uh, I like I had to go to this debating tournament. So it was one of my first um, international tournaments. It was in Slovakia at the time. 
And so at the time that this thing happened, they they called me and they're like, oh, can you come to Johannesburg this weekend? That's uh, so I live in this place called Peter Maritzburg. It's like six hours away from Johannesburg. Um, can you come to Johannesburg this weekend? We we need you to uh, come for this national selection. So I was super happy. But then also like I, I was leaving the next day to go to this debating tournament. And uh, so I was kind of sad at that point because I was like, this is a thing that like, you know, it's really going to change my life. But at the same time, I already committed to this um, this tournament I was going um, to, re- to represent South Africa there. And um, this is kind of where I realized that like, you know, T- Tim Ferriss has this phrase that like reality is negotiable. The rules that you see mm. that like people are writing down and, you know, the the kinds of like things that you're supposed to abide by, these are all suggestions. These are not rules. These are suggestions. And you can, if you're willing to question that and if you're willing to ask uh, more than often or not, uh, reality can bend to your will. And so <laughs> uh, this is this basically what happened was that I, I and I, I kind of get this from my mother as well. My mother is probably one of the most proactive people that I know. Um, super organizer, super like, like planning things. And like, she's basically like, she'll be a great like chief operations officer. Like in my ideal company, amazing at like organizing things. And so um, she was like, you know, why don't you send them an email and say, look, you, you re- representing South Africa at this, at this debate thing. It's not like you're, you know, sitting at home and, and like you don't want to come. And so eventually they managed to reschedule it such that the day after I, that the, the day that I landed back in South Africa after this debate tournament, the people who are like on the committee met me in this hotel. So I had to get from the airport to this like random hotel in Johannesburg. Keep in mind, I don't live in the city, so I don't know where anything is. <laughs> so I made my way to this hotel and um, went and met these people. And fortunately, I, I done like well at the tournament. I think I came second or something like that, like in, individually and we'd reached the final. So we did pretty well. And so um, I was in like a talkative mood and a happy mood. I was kind of nervous because like we were just in like a hotel conference room. It was kind of like all the atmosphere and thing had been taken out and it was just me and these like three uh people i think that were probably in business or something like that and then fortunately that's that's how i got in and so a lot of it is is basically luck most of the good things that have happened in my life are, are lucky um but i think Not also so it, much so it, but also it shows you that like when opportunities come um i was like well prepared for that particular opportunity and i think this is where it's like uh there's a phrase that naval has which is like you got to find who and what needs you the most in the world. And I think that like a lot of the time people want things, but uh, like what I wanted at that age in life, like when I went to the science Olympiad was to go and, you know, study at Cambridge or Oxford, because I I felt like that was uh, what smart people did at that time. But my particular route to um, getting and and my way of of doing things in life, uh, I've I've never done it the traditional way of like, oh, you do well in school and and then you go to university. I've always done like the the kind of like side road way and UWC was like a good example of that where, you know, I actually had to leave South Africa and then go and do two years at this school. Uh, and then I ended up in, in university. Um, and so it was always like, you know, life doesn't, you can have these plans and you can have these like things that you want to achieve, but these kind of serendipitous opportunities are sometimes the best ways to, uh, to actually achieve those overall goals that you have. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of like how I, how oh, I found holy it. Holy cow. But I, I think the overarching point there that like, and we've talked about this, wow, well, I'm just pointing things. We, we've talked about this no, where, like, um, formalities, right? 
formalities don't have to be so you can bend reality you can you can um push back and question things that that are have to be so yeah and i R- think Ramit is a, i'll go ahead yeah when when you said that that all these things were lucky that they kind of fell in place uh, for you i don't think it's true i think what you said well you you emailed him back saying look i can't do this but is there any way we can do it you know, in yeah. a hotel in Johannesburg yeah. on my way home from this thing. And they're like, yeah, um, I think that's the difference. And, and pushing back on formalities is important. What you got, Dylan? I was just talking last night. Uh, we had like an hour and a half phone call with a, a friend from the company, the, the YouTuber I used to work for. And we're talking about how everyone, they have this, uh, what is it? Uh, it's a character that's like, uh, I forget the acronym, but it's like just a character in a video game that just runs off their script, nothing else. Mm. Um, and just like so many people in the world, they're just running off these scripts of like, Hey, how are you doing today? And like, or this is how, I don't know, you, you go to school, like do this certain thing. And they just go by the formula, go by the script. And then you, you come and pierce that with like some casual informality or just whatever. And I, I love that mentality. Maybe it's not super connected to what we're talking about, but, um, I think there is so much of just reality that you realize you can change and bend. You can go to a different side of the world and explore it with these kids or um, whatever. And you end up going then to Princeton. You kind of take all these learnings and I guess you have a, a whole different sphere of also intelligent people. Like what is that like coming in? Is it different from any education you've experienced before or how did Princeton feel? 100%. So I think that like, I, again, I was, I was grateful that when I was younger at the science Olympiads, I had already met people who were, uh, let's say they were more like, they were more, uh, they had more experience and were a lot more like well-versed in like science and physics and stuff. So I knew that these people existed. I'd met a lot of them. And and funnily enough, some of the people that I'd met at those science Olympiads were at, um, we like met again at Princeton and things like that. So that was, that was kind of cool. Um, and so I think like sometimes college can be this thing where like if you're say you're like the best uh, academics and you're like the quarterback on the football team and you're a small town and you come to college and you're like, wow, like everyone here is 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 all um, like you you lose the things that you used to define yourself by. And I think mm. that for me, going through UWC um, kind of made me very uh, confident in the fact that like, you know, you don't need to have these like other labels that you that you define yourself by you as like a unique individual, um, the things that, uh, you, you basically don't have to like have these external factors that you like hang your identity on. Um, and so I think that like the, the whole environment at, at Princeton, um, I'm trying to tie this in. So like at, at UWC, I went through this whole, like getting into self-development and, and spirituality and, um, I used to share these like motivational posts and things on, on Facebook and stuff like that. And I kind of continue that into, into Princeton as well. Um, but then I, I started to realize that like, there's no, there's, there's different parts that you're on. And as much as I would thought, thought of myself as like an independent thinker uh, at that age, I was still running on a treadmill or running a, a path that was leading to a certain place. Or, or I felt that like those were the things that were important. So uh, one example is like when you get to college, you need to have uh, a purpose for why you're there. Like why why are you there? What do you want to do? 
for some people that purpose is, you know, you want to go to med school, you want to go to grad school, they want to uh, go work at a bank or go and, you know, everyone has their own kinds of kinds of purposes. And at that time, uh, and I think this happens to so many people, uh, I hadn't really thought about it too much. I was too busy trying to execute and do well so that like you can get into college such that, you know, once you're there, you now have to try and figure out, okay, what do I want to do here? And what does the next period of my life look like? And I think especially as a, as an international student, it was, it was a difficult question because um, you kind of have to think about, you know, do you want to stay in the US? Where do you want to like live in the world? That like place aspect is, is also important. Um, and I think Princeton for me was a time where I had you, how can I put this? Like I, I was exploring my strengths and trying to like understand more about myself. Um, but also I realized like the things that I'm pulled towards versus the things that I want to push and be good at. So let me explain, explain what that means. So often we have these things that like we think we should be good at. So I, I call this like the difference between uh, desired strengths and actual strengths. There's some, certain things that you want to be good at. Like, oh, look, uh, Dylan is a good podcaster. I, I want to be a good podcaster like, like Dylan. Um, but there's other things that like you're actually good at that you think might not be cool, but where your core strengths actually lie. And so for me, that came in in um, technology where like I wanted to be a good software engineer. I wanted to do well in in engineering. But my actual strengths lay in the intersection of engineering and um, public speaking and um, like entrepreneurship, for example. So it wasn't just the fact that like I'm a good engineer, but it's how can you like leverage uh, technology as well as like my other strengths of like being uh, having like entrepreneurial tendencies and and uh, public speaking and communication. Um, how can you leverage those things? And and so I think that like that whole time uh from like year one to year four there was like a market shift in how comfortable i was with the things that i wanted to do and uh less less like striving for um trying to do something to prove to other people that like you're good enough at it so for example at princeton one of the ways this manifests and i'm sure it's the same at brown is people take hard classes just to show that like they're a badass so for example there's a notoriously hard class called operating systems uh, it's about how the computer works. It's a very difficult class. Uh, even even among the smart people, like one of my uh, co-founders of of uh, the company that I that I did in my senior year and, and afterwards, he took this class and like he's like one of the best uh, people in computer science that I know. And he was like, "Yeah, this class is hard." Like, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm staying away from this. <laughs> this is not for me." Um, whereas other things, for example, uh, so 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 you have these people who are like, you know, you hang your identity on being smart. And so you seek out those things that will like reinforce the fact that you're smart versus trying to keep your identity small and doing the things that like you are curious about and that you actually enjoy. And so uh, by the end of it, like I went from taking classes because I thought they said something about me. Like, you know, you talk about your class and you're like, oh, well, I'm doing this class and this class. And everyone's like, wow, you're doing this. That's really cool. Like you must be so like dedicated and stuff. Um, I went from that to like I'm taking the things that I want to take, and I don't I don't care what anyone else thinks. I honestly don't like I'm, as long as I'm happy. That's the most important thing. Um, and so that shift towards like authenticity is very important. Naval has, a, has an amazing line that says you want to escape competition through authenticity. 
And I think that's like a thesis for how to be successful in life. You want to find what is your authentic self. Uh, you want to find your, your unique skills and strengths. And this is why I write about this stuff, because it's something that I feel is so important to being successful and also happy in, in life. Um, and then you just want to like escape competition. You don't want to be competing with other people. You want to transcend that. Um, and so there's a lot to unpack in those, in those four years. But I think that was like the main theme of like uh, finding your strengths and discovering yourself and like being okay with that. Um, and then in my, in my senior year, I started this company, which, which is something we can, we can get into. But that was like almost like the combination of um, my time at Princeton. It was so funny. Like if I was, uh, when I was at UWC, if someone told me like, hey, you're going to go to the school and you're going to start a company. I was like, wow, that sounds like the dream. And it's, it's funny that I've actually done, done all of that. So um, a lot of things to be grateful for in life when you, when you look back. Yeah, I think one, it's, it's interesting because we've talked about it a little bit before, but how I had this experience coming into math, like I always identified as good at math and then I just got my shit rocked the first exam at Brown and I was like, all right. Well, it happens, yeah. Uh, you realize you're, not, you're around the cream of the crop and like, all right, maybe not math, but maybe I'm the best at math, business, and just talking to people. Like maybe that's exactly. my intersection. Yeah, um, yeah. So what did you guys study at Brown, by the way? I never actually asked you this. I studied uh, BEO, which is business entrepreneurship and organizations. So it's oh, and kind of Spanish okay. as well. And uh, okay. interesting off the art for, for me. And you, Henry, what did you do? Yeah, I studied astrophysics. And oh, yes, yes, yes. Like you say, I, I always got that when I say I studied astrophysics, like people's jaws hit the floor. Yeah. And it was one of those curricula where like, I think it's because people didn't know what it, but it was like, you are doing something so hard. And so yeah. what was weird was I was like, A, it's not terribly hard. And I just like, kind of like you said, I was like, I, I just do this because I like it. Right. Like, well, yeah. what are you going to do with that degree? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Probably music. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> and I just don't care. I don't care. It's, it's such a funny thing to hear people uh, I don't know who said this back in the day, but like, listen to how people introduce you. It's mm. fascinating. And like, everyone's mm. like, yeah, Henry's studying astrophysics. I'm like, this clown, like, you it's, think he's smart? Look at him. Come I on. know. Like, I barely got out of there, but it, it was so much of what you're saying off there. It was like, oh, those were the hardest classes at the university. Like, therefore you must be this. It's like, eh. Yeah. I think like all these things, like if you can try and get away from doing things as a means of signaling and move towards doing things as a means of self-expression. That's like a journey that we're all on in life. I think even to an extent um, in entrepreneurship, a lot of people use starting a company as a means of signaling. Oh, look at me. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a CEO. I hustle all the time. You know, uh, Gary Vee, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas I think now my, my take on, on, whether you should start a company and how you should go about doing that is as a means of self self-expression and basically taking this uh, obsession and curiosity and natural skills and leverage that you have and um, productizing that and putting that into the world such that like it can help people and it's a problem that you want to solve. Because I think ultimately that's how you win in the long term. And it's kind of like, even when I say it, it feels like light and free whereas in traditional business it's like cutthroat and you know you gotta make returns for your shareholders <laughs> and you gotta outperform the competition and to an extent that's there but like the best companies uh they say the best companies are like competition aware 
but like customer obsessed. And so the mm. more obsessed you can be in like staying in your own lane, you don't have to worry about what other people are doing. The world is big enough such that you don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, what I, when I, I find that so true, like the world being so big and us being so connected, even we're discovering now on Twitter, like you just find your niche and you can crush it in that niche. So that weird you can, yeah. Um, what I kind of pose this big question to you, but I, I have been wrestling with it and, and college, like what it's beaten into us that, you know, you, you gotta take the hardest classes. You gotta really push yourself to the brink of a failure. Um, even though we're not used to that and far like, past it. Yeah. And yeah. we had excellent sheep. That's, that's our favorite book to talk about on this topic. But, um, from your perspective, Optar, was, was that a big issue where you saw people not taking the time to really sort of create that internal scorecard that, uh, we talk about and like really figure yeah. out what is success for you? Uh, how am I getting an A in what I actually care about as success or am I just getting an A in these, you know, computer systems classes that don't actually matter for me? Um, exactly. You see that as an issue? hundred percent. So while I was at Princeton, my favorite activity that I did uh, was being a learning consultant. And so what that means is you help uh, other students uh, with things like um, time management and goal setting. And basically it's like, you know, if a tutor is helping you figure out like how do you uh, integrate and uh, do calculus and like the actual like methods of the subject, we're more like at a high level about like, okay, how can you construct routines and habits and uh, making sure that like you're going in the right direction and that you have like the information and also the understanding of like where do you want to go and are you happy about like the way that you're getting there and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and so it was, I think the, the term that we use is like personalized academic and like lifestyle strategies. So that is, that is what it's about. Is Princeton one unique thing, in this? Sorry to jump in, but yeah, because I haven't I don't heard know, this actually. Brown. We didn't have it. We had like, like why don't we have more learning consultants? <laughs> yeah, Mikkel I think it's, it's really wonderful. I, I, it's one of the things that I, again, it's like, it's very natural to what I used to do because um, I would do this anyway, like with my friends. And like, I remember when I met uh, the gentleman who runs that center at Princeton, he was like, we just, we just got on like a like house on fire. It was amazing. Um, but, but to your question about like, do people take the time to think about what's important to them? Uh, the answer is no. And I don't think it's our fault. We, and I think maybe I'm interested in you guys, cause I had such a different um, background in the sense that like I was uh, taken to these different places and like, I kind of had to figure this out for myself. But especially in, in, if you're just like, you know, living in the same town, you go to the, the primary school, then you go to high school and then you got to go to college. And then you know, after college, you, there's, there's all these like checkpoints that are set up for you and uh, not nearly enough people think about like, why, what is the reason that you're playing this game? And like, why do you want to do this? This is why you see a lot of students coming into college wanting to do things like pre-med and then they drop out after like organic chemistry or something like that because they don't really want it they thought they wanted it but they don't actually they don't actually want to do it and so i think that like examining why do you want the things that you want like are your desires yours or are they influenced by by other people and and obviously we're gonna we're mimetic creatures we're gonna like want things that other people want but you want to minimize the extent that that desire is driven by other people and it's more because you like it and you want to do it um and and so this this idea of like 
are you examining why you want to do something? This is, I, I saw this a lot when I was consulting uh, students and they would talk about like, oh, I'm doing this really hard class and uh, I, I can give you, and, and they were like, can you help me with it? And I said, look, I can give you tips and strategies for like how to do better in it. But before we get into that, I want to talk about why you're doing this class. Like what exactly is it contributing to in your, in your life? And they're like, huh, like I never actually thought about that. That's a, that's a, you know, they would say like, oh, this is a requirement for something and like a requirement for premiere. I was like, oh, so why do you want to do premiere? Tell me about that. And so once you get down this layer of whys and you get to like the core of, of what is your actual motivations for something, I think I have um, in, the, in the, one of the posts that I wrote about like finding your dream job, I talk about examining your motives and examining your motivations for like, why do you want to do something? Um, and I think that that's so powerful because like as much as those motivations can change a little bit, uh, at the end of the day, you have some like core desires that you want to fulfill. And some of these things are unconscious. So for example, some people, when I asked them, you know, why do you want to do pre-med? They would get into this whole story. So a lot of the time it was a kind of like therapy sessions because as much as we're supposed to talk about like learning strategies and like time management and stuff like that, it really gets into like, once you understand your motivation and your core, why for one, you, once, why you want to do something, everything else becomes easy because you have that foundation of like, okay, if I'm doing this for a good enough reason, then that motivates all the energy that I'm going to put into um, the different like systems and the changes that I need to make. But if you're unsure at a, at a deeper level about why you want to do something, then that, that like existential anxiety is going to uh, permeate the things that you're trying to do. And ultimately you're uh, not doing good at the class because you don't understand the material is because you don't, you're not sure of yourself and you're not sure of like, you know, why you actually are doing this. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think some people do have these good ideas, but uh, good um, reasons and, and good motives. But I think that not nearly enough have, of us have made the time to think about that. And I think that like, for example, failure and these things where we go through situations that we might not have wanted. Um, so for example, like when I went to the science Olympiads, like I, I did well in the sense that I represented South Africa and we were like the best students in our country. But we didn't do well at the international stage. We actually got like outclassed and outperformed by all these other people, mainly because our curriculum is not that good, but we were, we were just not at that level. And so for me, I, I made the, I, I could have been like all demoralized and stuff like that. And, and I was to a certain extent, but then I realized like, hey, like, I really like this and this is my motivation for doing it. And so I was used to like at these points of uh, failure or at these like down points in your life, using that as an opportunity to take stock and reflect and say like, okay, why did this happen? Is it a setback or am I actually like playing the wrong game? And if you do find yourself playing the wrong game, then switch, do something else. Like for example, when I, when I was at Princeton, um, I initially came in as wanting to do aerospace engineering and it's kind of like astrophysics where it's one of those things, like it's literally rocket science. Like that, and that's like all the yes. jokes about like, Oh, like it's not rocket science. This actually is, this is, this is aerospace engineering. And I wanted to do that because I saw, I was very inspired by Elon Musk and he was doing stuff in SpaceX and he was also from South Africa. So I was like, right, I'm going to be the South African Indian Elon Musk. That's like what I want to do. Um, and then thankfully, like I got taken off that route by the fact that uh, if you're not a US citizen, you can't actually work in the aerospace sector, say from, I think maybe if you're like from Canada, even Canadians, I know some of my friends had issues with that. But I was saved from that whole route because eventually I would have found out like, why do I want to do this? Ah, it's because I want to be like Elon Musk. And like, what's the reason for that? Ah, so that I can have, you know, the respect and, and adoration and the money and, and be on the cover of Forbes and stuff like that. Is this like the best way to do this? 
ah, oh, that's like the, the real question. And also like, why do you want those things as well? Like, why do you want the, the money? Why do you want the respect? Why do you want, like, is, is, is something about yourself that you're not quite uh, comfortable with that you feel like this is going to fulfill? Uh, and so these are like the existential questions that I think we need all need to grapple with. And um, I think that like, we all approach these like different breaking points. And you even said it yourself, like once you fail your maths exam, you're like, okay, well, maybe this maths thing, um, I, if like, for example, there's some people that I know that if they enjoy maths and they're like, yeah, I just like doing it. You know, I don't care if like, I'm not doing uh, as well as uh, other people in the class. Like this is the one thing that I enjoy. Uh, whereas, you know, if you have these other interests and you're like, okay, maybe this is a part of, of what I want to do and, and maybe let's explore these other things that I'm interested in. So yeah, that's like a, a whole thing. I think we should all make time to reflect and, and review the, the, the game that we're playing in life because too, too much of the time you see people quote unquote winning and then realizing like that's not the game that they wanted to play in the first place. They're not happy with like, you know, uh, the, whether it's the money or whether it's like the, the relationship or whether it's, you know, the job or something like that. You see this all the time, people going into banking and going to work at like Facebook and Google and stuff like that. After like a couple of years, they're like, yeah, this, this is not that lit anymore. Um, <laughs> whereas some other people who had better reasons, they, they're, they're much more aligned. Yeah. I think alignment is such a key term. It's funny, like I learned this from Veda actually at, at ALA. He talks about like that whole process of alignment. That's like such a critical theme for uh, just living a happy and uh, effective life as well. So yeah, if you can yeah. align your actions with your motives, that's, uh, that's, that's it. Okay. That's it. And and nobody's taking the time to do that. We just talked to a friend, Ian, who his advice for that is like, take a day, take six yeah. hours, sit down, get all your electronics away and take a piece of paper and sit down and answer why. Like, why am I doing this? He was like, we spend three hours figuring out our, our Call of Duty class and like the exactly. guns we want to use online. But we don't sit down for 30 minutes and figure out why we're like doing something. That should be an entire... Uh, class exactly think, well what's oh, interesting oh, really quick is just how you say optar with uh, you guys realizing that uh you know other countries they did better than you in the science olympiads yeah, yeah. and you're like okay uh you know you start to question this route but often when you're yeah. winning or even you're just complacent like there's no big issue you're not going to make that change and really start to question some of the deeper questions of of why and uh, I know you like Farnham Street, I assume. I've seen some references there. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. have, uh, I think it was getting to first principles, an article there. And it's like, ask why five times and yeah. get to the root of the problem. So uh, so I think that's awesome. Would you? Oh, one thing before we, before we yeah. switch oh, gears. Sorry. There's one resource that I think is very good um, for people who uh, are looking for like questions to ask themselves if they want to like uh, basically introspect more about their life. There's uh, two wonderful books by these two Stanford design thinking professors. Uh, one is called Designing Your Life. So they're basically applying these principles of um, introspection and uh, testing and um, design to how do you live a fulfilled life, both in terms of your personal life as well as your work life. And then there's another book that they came out with that's just specifically about Korea called Designing Your Work Life. Uh, I, I'd recommend both of them, I think, that's a great place to start. Um, is it a duo, the authors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I know. Um, I was yeah. there for a parent weekend. My sister was a freshman there. Nice. And I got to sit on a lecture with them. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's a class it that they taught and they yeah, kind of they had us kind yeah. of go through this exercise. Yeah. And I remember at one point, um, we were as a full room of like parents, we were kind of coming up with solutions to get back some of our lifetime. Yeah. And I remember I grabbed the microphone and I said, like, I'm 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 spending too much time on email and I'm gonna delete it from my phone. And nice. my parents were like that that that's cool. The point was like the 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 parents in the room were like, oh my gosh you can do that. And it, it, yeah. was, it was interesting for me. So I, I do want to read that book. Um, but yeah, it was funny that everyone yeah. in the room, like that was such a foreign thing for them that you could kind of get rid exactly. of. Exactly. They, they were Again, of an older demographic, but re- reality um, is uh, all the assumptions of reality, you can question them. There you go. Is negotiable. Yeah. It's beautiful now because that message is starting to propagate and you know, you're, you're not in your little, uh, your chambers, your silos of ways of thinking especially exactly. geographically now yeah. you have Twitter where people are saying these things like crazy. So you, you can hear and read yeah. books on it. Would you then say you, and this is kind of the question I posed, but after say you have an 18 year old, you know, very fresh, impressionable, maybe you give them a class like design your life or something like that. First thing, then from there, like I, I kind of want to leave it open from first principles. That's the idea is it doesn't have to be like a college environment. Yeah. But would you, would you consider maybe like, oh, you just send them to another country, a random country with a bunch of people for a year and like have that? Yeah. Um, I, I remember, I, I do think that like that whole experience of being going away. So there's uh, there's this concept, I'm sure you guys know about this, called the hero's journey, where the hero um, faces some sort of, uh, like things are going well in, in their life and then they face some sort of tragedy and, and then they have to go away. In Hindu mythology, this is often represented as people going into the forest where they find themselves and they confront the demons and then they come back to their, their kingdom and then they, they beat the boss and then they're, they're the king again. Um, or they were the prince and then now they're, they're the king. Um, and so I think that like that whole aspect of leaving your home and uh, you know, leaving your comfort zone and all that stuff, that's super critical because I think that's like, um, that teaches people self-reliance and uh, gives them more independence uh, than they otherwise would have developed in your own environments. Because ultimately, like if you're if you can detach yourself from, because uh, especially in the American context, there's so many of these like stereotypes and archetypes. You have your jock, you have your nerd, you have the cheerleaders, you have these people, you have the people who are into spelling and stuff like that. If you can remove yourself from from that environment where all these labels were previously on you, and you now have an opportunity to reinvent yourself in a in an environment where no one knows who you are. No one knows what you did before. All those labels are now uh, no longer attached to you. You can actually be free and um, reinvent the, the life that you want to live. That's so critical. And I think there's no better means of doing this than moving to a different place. This could be a different country. It could be a different state if you're like in the States. But I do think that that experience, like the UWC experience of like taking you out of your home country and into a foreign country, that is... Um, is a, a surefire catalyst for growth. Like that's, that's definitely would be is, on the list. Is there a way you can think of to do that at a smaller scale for maybe the folks that are on route to go to a community college yeah. um, and they're commuting from home? How do you get that same kind of experience of uh, that, that hero's journey, but you're still at home at 19 years old? I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I don't yeah. know. If you have to... No, it's a, it's a difficult question because I think that like, again, it's, it's, all about i'm of i'm a believer of this principle of finding your own way and so for me like the uwc was like my way of doing it 
for other people, it means you know moving to a different city or um, maybe uh, testing out something that they or, or taking time away from like the, the the path that they were going to walk in life and like stopping. It may mean like taking a gap year for some people. Mm. I do think travel. Obviously, travel is like a very um, like when a lot of people think about like, oh, I want to travel. It means like, oh, let's go and like go through to Europe and backpack and stuff like that. But I, I do think like um, service is a good way to do it. That would be like one of the ways that I think is is almost universally accessible where, you know, everyone is always looking for volunteers. Everyone is, is always I think there's these programs that like if you volunteer for a year, they'll uh, give you housing and yeah. stuff like that. And that's a great way to see different parts of the world but also uh to contribute and to help and to give and so i think that that would be one of my recommendations is like take some time uh volunteer at a place for like a month or certain amount of time and um basically like you want to stop the momentum of your life such that you can re-evaluate whether that direction that you're going is actually the, the right one we had uh, I specifically, Dylan, you know him, but we, we knew somebody who like that junior year, your, your critical internship, he yeah. went to Hawaii to volunteer oh, on a coffee farm and he was sleeping in the farm, you know, camping and uh, they would feed him and obviously they gave him that housing. Yeah. Um, and that was like, he's, he was pre-law. Um, it's just like such a good way to get away. I think yeah within within certain bounds like anybody could do that um yeah i think especially like uh, with with service and again like obviously everyone's situation is going to be unique to them but i think that like in addition to um some sort of uh journey that you can take some sort of uh taking yourself out of your your current environment uh as as you were saying, Dylan, the other thing I would say is like try and find and, and start questioning your uh, your natural strengths and and try and find your your gifts in life. And I think that like that whole process of reflection and then you know probably have them do this thing called the reflected best self, where you know they try and build this three sixty picture of when they are at their best from the different people that they've worked with in their life. Um, that would be a starting point, and then from there, nurturing and trying to guide their own curiosities. I think that like the ideal college experience or the ideal like educative experience isn't so much uh, a matter of instruction, but a matter of uh, guidance and facilitation, if that makes sense. So it's not about giving them, and I'm not going to teach them anything, but it's more about helping them uh, tap into and and learning to recognize uh, and follow their own curiosity and the things that are already in their own, in their own mind and stuff like that. Um, it's a difficult question. I think that like this whole matter, and it's funny that you brought this up because this is actually a question that I think is one of my 12 like favorite questions um, in life. And I think that like education, well, my first, the first company that I started was uh, education nonprofit. Actually, when I was at Princeton, uh, we were teaching uh, young women in South Africa, computer science, so programming, uh, and also teaching them optimal learning techniques. So these like ways that you can, um, essentially uh, learn things faster and like have these learning techniques that you can apply, not just to computer science and programming, but to other subjects that they had in school. And so that would be another thing, like learning how to learn, like all these meta principles about like finding your strengths, learning how to learn, learning how to learn anything. Um, 
public speaking and communication would probably be another thing. Um, I think that like, and this is what brought it home for me, your ability to uh, do things in the world is limited by your ability to articulate them in your own head. If you can't describe mm-hmm. something to another person, um, it's uh, it's it almost doesn't exist in a way. Yeah. Like it almost like it's there, but if you can't, and oh, that's a beautiful thing in some ways, but in terms of like practical stuff, this is why like selling and pitching and entrepreneurship is very important because if you can't paint a picture to another person, um, it's very difficult for them to understand where you're coming from. And the, the people who can more closely articulate uh, where their words are matching the things that they want to say and the, their feelings, those are the people that I think are the, are the best communicators. And again, for me, this happened by like, I don't know, accident, but like I used to do debating and public speaking. Um, there's, a, there's a funny story where like I was in primary school and I used to argue with my teachers all the time. This is the one thing I was notorious for. <laughs> I was a good student, but I was also like a disruptive student. I used to get bored and I'll start talking to my classmates and I argue with the teachers because the one teacher would be like, oh, you can't use this pen. I'm like, but why? Why can't we use a blue pen? Why do we have to use a black pen? And so um, then she basically told me that, yo, this is uh, this is my classroom. Um, if you want to debate, go and join a debating club. And so when I went to when I went to high school, <laughs> like, I was like, this right. debating club. I'm like, this is my place. Like, this is this is a place for me. Um, but I think that whole thing about communication and whether it's like written or spoken or I don't know. There's, I think like that's super important. Um, and then, uh, but, but basically what I was saying is that this whole idea of like education, I think is a, a problem that I want to tackle perhaps later in life. Once I have my own capital to play around with, because one thing I found doing this education nonprofit is that most of the time being a nonprofit CEO or nonprofit head is just like grant writing and applying for funding. And I was like, this process would be a lot easier if I just had my own money. You don't have to spend the time writing grants and I can do whatever I want with it and I can test it in the way that I want. And so I think that that's uh, in maybe 20 years or so, I might be doing that. Who knows? We'll see. Um, But I think now that whole idea of like nurturing kids, um, natural curiosity. So there's the guy that the guy that I like a lot, his name is Josh Waitskin. He is a. I was about um, to mention him when you were done talking, too. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. But he has this whole idea of like, you want to cultivate the ability to listen to your internal music. Uh, and children are naturally curious and they naturally want to learn things. And each people, each person will gravitate towards different things. And the more you can not block them in that process, and the more you can help them, because a lot of people are like, at a young age, they might be interested in something and then their parents or their uh, friends or something might say, ah, you know, like this dance thing is silly or this other thing is silly. Like you should be focused on practical things. And I think that like there's there's a means of like taking this natural curiosity and just letting it flow and like guiding it along the way. Um, that I think is one of the ideal uh, like themes for education. And like how you do that is uh, is another question. A monster. Uh, I, I'm yeah. realizing that <laughs> we we might need just a podcast on like redesigning education. Yo, let's go for as, it. as a whole. I have on my because uh, I was talking with my girlfriend about it this weekend. My whiteboard right now in my bedroom says "Make EDU better." Like, yeah, it's it's just ter- like the whole thing's got to be reworked. Tr- trillion dollar problem. Trillion dollar uh, at problem. Least. Um, at yeah. least. At no, least. Especially I, I now think... they're, they're losing their minds. Yeah. And I think that 
like the the whole coronavirus has also made people question the value of uh, certain things. So, for example, like, uh, and and this this is a whole topic that we can get into because at some at one point I was super interested in it, and then I realized, as a college student, there's no money in education in the sense that like, the the way for me to go about this is to like live my life. Uh, I don't live my life. Is to like you know. Uh, accrue capital through the entrepreneurial endeavors that I'm going to do. And like, those are going to be uh, means of self-expression. They're going to be helping people stuff like that. And then once I have that capital, then I can come back and say, okay, now that I have these resources, let's think about how do we attack these other problems like education, like, uh, you know, ed- probably education is the, is the biggest one for me. Maybe health, health and fitness is another one for me. Um, because I think that like the other things like if you were just to say, okay, where I am right now, of course you can make a change where you are right now, but um, it's going to be constrained by those who have capital in the world. And this is where I, one of the dudes that uh, I know we all like is uh, Chamath Palihapitiya. He is, uh, it's literally like, no. capital. I was like, uh, is he going to mention Chamath? After yeah. Come on. There it is. Yeah. And so his whole thing is that like money is the instrument you for change. You got to get a room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Um, but again, there's so many different concepts. There's the MOOCs. Now people are doing remote learning. And mm. I think remote is definitely scalable in terms of the fact that like you just, it's... I do. You, it's scalable, sure, but kids need physical Correct, play. correct. And, exactly, exactly. That's the Oh, that's we the should issue. do a whole podcast. Yeah, oh, that's exactly. Education. Well, yeah, this, this question, I'm realizing we only got to about age 20, 21. So there's still many years to cover in a, I'm, and then there's also the question of like you know most education is focused on kids but most of the time people are having like midlife crises and and why aren't we educating 40 year olds yeah it's like how do you take these things wow. and um and this is where the money is in my opinion this is where i think the money is and there's a couple of people doing things well here uh one of the people ramit is is probably an example of this where you know he's educating people about finances and productivity and stuff like that. And it's targeted at a demographic that can afford it. Um, a top performers in, in his words. And there's also people like uh, Tiago Forte, who does the like uh, building a second brain and organizational the information organization and stuff. And then David Perel is doing his writing school. And there's tons of other people doing, doing different things like online courses and stuff like that is just like the latest trend on a trend, latest manifestation of this before there's MOOCs and, and stuff like that. There's actually a great, um, uh, what is it? Like a video. <laughs> it's not a lecture. It's, it's just uh, this guy talking, uh, Tiago Forte talking about the history of uh, online education. Um, I should actually rewatch it this week. Um, see, now you guys have got me all excited about this <laughs> education thing. Because this is the thing with me. I, I get all excited about this stuff and then I realize, so, I had, uh, so I'm actually on a week off this week. Uh, my boss is mandatory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got I, if I can't be in in Thailand, then I got to dress like I'm I'm in Thailand. So, um, uh, so my boss instituted this mandatory week off, and I had this thing, this this list of um, uh, reflection questions, and again, taking that time in your day where I just want a whole day where I'm not going to be on Twitter, I'm not going to be on my on sitting at my desk. Um, to, obviously, that day is not today because I'm, <laughs> I'm here doing the podcast with you guys. Um, but and actually just taking stock of where I'm in life and stuff like that. But now I'm so excited because like about this education thing, I want to go and research and I want to go and, next week. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it could be, you know, it could be this week too, but uh, <laughs> there's always so much. And I know you, maybe there's like a podcast for each one of those 12 questions you have to 
that are more for sure yeah those are those are lifelong questions just whole books and and things that can be and i think that's that's what's wonderful is that like there's so much a depth that you can get into right so uh one i want to we'll figure out a time for that after this because this is this gets me excited too i do think i actually watched a video i don't know if it was stanford or maybe it was stanford it was like their design school they had to rethink college education completely and they're like what if um what if we just took these four years but said you could use them at any point in your life. Yeah. Like maybe you want to use yeah. a year when you're 42 and then another mm-hmm. one when you're 58. Well, like, one thing can... that I liked yeah. is uh, thinking, let's, uh, what is the word? Uh, moving up a level from like what you're talking about, I think this whole principle, like one of the things that I liked in college was design thinking. And I know it's like kind of vogue right now, but uh, one of the things that I naturally gravitated towards is that this this idea of like, okay, in the design thinking process, you think about, okay, you have a problem. What are like the assumptions and how can you challenge them? And like, that's such a, such a wonderful example of like, oh, we think that college needs to be four years at 18 from 18 to 22 or however old you are. What if that wasn't the why? case? Yeah, exactly. Why, why, why is that arbitrary? True? Like, <laughs> exactly. They're kind of young. Whatever. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I want to, well, I struggle to, uh, I know I said like trying to design from first principles and stuff. It's it's hard to really uh, maybe have that as a mental model and really internalize that whole approach. Um, yeah, I guess you just have to ask a lot of whys. There are probably more articles, but it is so fundamental. And I was trying to rethink college, but I never thought about the the lifespan. Like you can change when you use those years. There's so many different ways to break it down that you just never. And the notion that when you're 55, you've still got 20 years of productivity left. Like, why is that the end of your career and your education exactly yeah you should go Go do another four years of college at 55 (laughs) and this is another thing where i'm like one of the reasons why i'll go ahead yeah it would be lit actually yeah i I wish i could do a college like what now like once you have so there's certain things that stress you out in college right there's like uh what you what am i going to do in the future what are my finances stuff like that once you answer those questions college is lit like I, i know my host family uh, they're a group, they're like in their 70s, I think. So when, as an international student, I was paired with a local family in Princeton. They're most wonderful, amazing people. Consider them like 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 my grandparents and stuff like that. Uh, they actually go and sit in on lectures in Princeton. They just, because mm. they got, they're retired. They just, they that's their, their, their day. Um, and they love it. And like the fact that when you remove the stress of college and you can just enjoy the learning is wonderful. It's, it's a great time. So yeah, and this is another reason why I think like health and fitness is very important because the more, the healthier you can be and if you can increase your health span, like the time of uh, in your life that you can like be healthy and functional. Um, life, it, while it's very short and it's very fleeting, there's a lot of time to do things. Like if you imagine, you know, we're, I don't know, 25, 26 right now, um, you're going to have three more of your lives in the future like imagine what, what can you do with that and like not adult just, life yes. full full adult life right exactly not, not adult life we're only six. a couple of years in and you know yeah. <laughs> you got exactly. 30 more of those <laughs> so. exactly so um, it, well avatar you have uh i i have to run in a minute but i think no you problem. have successfully um brought us to a point where we can book you for another episode Dude, let's <laughs> because get we're done. only at age like 21 <laughs> right now and and we've uncovered the major untruth of the world that, that is uh, education um <laughs> this was great dylan, yeah a lot of fun dylan, a lot of dylan fun. any like final thoughts here there are a lot of final thoughts well, but we're gonna cut them <laughs> off today. that was what i was gonna mention with josh uh waitskin is that how i say his name I've never yeah said josh waitskin yeah yeah and 
he's like, all right, always end on a good note. So you're excited the next time. I mean, I think we could do that a million times. End it with quality. Yeah, let's do it. I, I love it. So we'll, we'll touch base. You'll be hearing from us again. Any final words? for you, Avatar, or anything you want to plug, we'll mention your websites as usual. But. Yeah, no, I, I write, ai am in, in the process of documenting the things that I'm uh, learning and the lessons that I've learned in life. Uh, I write a weekly newsletter. You can check it out at uh, avatar.email, A-V-T-H-A-R.email, uh, or on my website, uh, avatar.com. That's uh, everything is there. Um, Did you, yeah. I, how do you get that email? That's, that's so sick. I, I bought it, you just uh, Namecheap. I think domain names, so when I started uh, my company, getting the right domain names are very important. I think I bought, and I think once you're working, uh, you can spend like maybe like a hundred bucks and you can buy like six or seven domain names. Uh, I think I've got like aftar.health, aftar podcast, like all all sorts of things just around my name, the things that I might want to do in the future. I'm like, yeah, I might as well buy it now because it's very cheap. Like I think I bought my name, aftar.com, it was like $2 or something like that. So yeah. Little Definitely hacks that we, domain names. we yeah. slip in at the end. That's awesome. Avtar, thanks again. I uh, sure. appreciate everyone being on and we'll see you next time. Awesome. Peace. Awesome. Okay. That was dope. Avtar. Oh man. Every time great we get talking into to you guys, man. Great well, talking see you to next you week. Um, yeah, literally. There's, the uh, there's too much here. Honestly, if I, you want to make this weekly, be like, I'd, I'd, I'd be down to commit to like a, like a weekly <laughs> thing just where we just talk to three of us. <laughs> Um, just riff and it'll be great we could do it on like a saturday morning or something like that um, i'm losing my spot oh. no dude I, the problem is i don't i have a job okay <laughs> i don't have time <laughs> to get on every day so <laughs> once a week is something i can commit to i think once a week is like a good uh with everything else going on in my that'd life, be cool but you also good. have your i mean how often do you film your podcasts and, and when you want to launch those? Isn't that so? I'm probably also going to do that once a week as well, weekly. I'm then trying you're to have batch 10 things that are once a week. Yeah, dude, every day, every day is going to be a different day. No, but what <laughs> I'm trying to do is batch, batch record them. So I probably yeah. do like, um, so I already have three. I'm actually recording one with my friend at uh, 6 p.m. tonight. Uh, and then, uh, depending on uh, later this week, I'm, I'm trying to understand what a direction I want to take that in, in terms of like, what am I, again, my internal scorecard for the podcast and the newsletter. Oh, once I've clarified that a little bit, to ask you. we can talk about that next time. Yeah. Next time. Um, <laughs> once I've clarified a little bit more about that, then I'm going to start scheduling guests. Cause I have like this vision of like these people I want to reach out to, but I want to make sure that I've got the, the positioning and what yeah. I want to do with it first. Um, but yeah, batch recording is 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 a thing for me. I'll probably record like three or four in one day or, or over a weekend and then use that for the next month. And then Yeah, smart. Yeah, do that so, again. Saturday. And you know, you come on this one, we'll repurpose it for you. You don't even have to plug in. <laughs> yeah, plug it's going to be lit. I'm right, excited, cool. man. It's great. It's great Woo! talking to you guys. Yeah. Well, I know Belki, uh, well, you got to leave in a second, Belki, but yes. normally the weekends are tough. We'll figure out scheduling uh, or we just cut you out completely. Cause weekends, uh, yeah, not in in the next two oh, weeks friday friday something. afternoon uh, evening something. might be good okay well dope thanks again cool. we'll uh we'll talk in text and uh, we'll catch y'all take care right, guys have See a good rest of your